Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. This is Neil McMillan, inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics. The election campaign is about to heat up. Parliament is in its final days, which means that MPs and those hoping to become MPs will be promoting their parties, their policies and themselves from now until Election Day in seven weeks' time. Our recent programs have focused on the Tyree electorate, partly because it's Otago-focused, but also because it's uniquely diverse in its character. And it's being contested by candidates who are equally diverse in their backgrounds. And one of these is the ACT Party candidate, Robert Andrews, who's joined us by phone from Alexandra. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for uh, ringing in on, the, on our program. Yeah, g'day. How you going? Robert, the the ACT Party seems to be on a roll at the moment. Its membership's more than doubled over the past year. And uh, I know the party president is aiming for 6 or 7% in the party vote of the election. What do you think has caused the surge in popularity? What's its appeal? Um, I think a lot of it is ACT as a party of common sense and freedom of choice. Um, and and I think, you know, they want to cut regulation, and that's a common theme when you talk to businesses around the country, is the regulation is what's stifling us. What was it that got you involved in the ACT Party? Um, basically, it was uh, in the aftermath of the, of the firearms um, reforms last year, and I saw a politician in mm. Seymour, was talking common sense, and which was surprising. And when you later find out it wasn't because he was a gun person, it was because he just didn't believe that the process was correct. And that's when I sort of got, got more into it and, and realised that, that ACT were a party of, of common sense and, and sensible regulation. Mm. Robert, your background is an interesting one because your work would seem to have a lot in common with a big chunk of this electorate, uh, particularly in terms of its range of townships and its rural farming and outdoor aspects. Uh, You grew up on a farm in North and Southland, I gather. Exactly where? Um, I grew up at at, uh, Five Rivers. Um, we still own the family farm there. At one stage, it was about 6,000 ewes when I was a kid with my father and my uncles, and an uncle had a farm next door. And our family has been there since 1911. So, you know, I I grew up in a normal rural sort of farming background, really. And then I ended up in, in the rabbit board system and... Pitched up in Central Otago, sort of about 1998, for a uh, brief stint in the Clyde Dam, and then I've been doing pest control for rabbits, goats, deer ever since. Mm. Working on the Clyde Dam, tell us about that. What were you involved in there? 
I was just a um, labourer uh, for, for a carpentry crew. Um, so I just basically was dog's body, carting stuff for the carpenters and just doing what I was told. Um, it was sort of my first experience at a big industrial site. Um, and I was there during the, there was about a 17 week strike in 1988. And I was there during that. And what was it got you into pest control? Well, I always, it's just what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be farming for a living. And um, I joined the rabbit board in the mid-80s straight out of school and was there for a couple of years. And then I sort of left there and, and ended up at the Clyde Dam for a change. And I was in central Otago just when it became the end of sort of the, the rabbit board system controlled by the government in sort of about 1990. And they opened up a lot of, a lot of it to private contractors. So I just jumped in there and I've just gone from there. And my pest control has covered, you know, rabbits, uh, helicopter work on, on deer, goats, rabbits, um, government contracts for, you know, control of TB, surveys, monitoring, and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. You know, basically all over the lower part of the South Island, including South Westland. And you're classified as a professional shooter. That's correct, yep. Using what kind of weapon? What kind of firearms? I, I use predominantly AR-15s. Yeah, and and uh, when you got into this, you you decided to base yourself in Alexandra. Yeah, that's correct because that's where where the main main part of the rabbits were, and where the most of the work was. And I just I've just and I love the climate up here. Com, you know, coming from south and where you're dealing with rain and mud all the time, to being up here, is I, I quite like the dry climate actually. To be fair, yeah. What would a typical day or a typical week be like in your work? Um, well, well, normally I go out and if I'm doing doing rabbits, I'll, I'll go out and sort of mid afternoon, depending on the day. Um, you know, and do it and do an afternoon hunt till it gets dark, and then carry on to probably one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and what we do is we just tick around on a motorbike with a. We use thermal scopes a lot now, and just hunting for hunting for rabbits and, and shooting them. Um, and normally at the moment, about once a week, we or once a fortnight, we're doing venison recovery, which is with a helicopter operator where we go and shoot deer and recover them for a factory. Mm-hmm. And and uh, goats also, I gather. Yeah, goats is sort of um, a farmer might hire us with a helicopter to go do a day shooting goats, or it might be a dock contract, and that's sort of um, it's pretty weather dependent. And it, and it's just some years we do quite a bit, and some years we don't do a lot. Just depends. On the on the subject of pest control, as you know, the governments keep talking about having New Zealand pest free by such and such a year in the future. Is this feasible? Well, I don't think I don't think it's feasible. I think it's a I think it's a nice idea and it's something to aspire to, but I don't think it's feasible. Will we ever catch the last rabbit? No, better, better than me and the me have tried and, and, and failed. So, um, but, you know, it, it comes back to a mindset. Of if you keep trying to get the last rabbit, you'll get close, but you won't ever get the last one. That's what you want, is that maintenance control in, in, in keeping the numbers down. Like, I have one property that, I work, that I've been working on for 30 years, and they haven't used any poison in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. This particular kind of work, uh, it's 
Uh, it's, it's essentially in central Otago. Yeah, it's, it's essential. Um, um, you know, like people forget that back in the 1980s, most of the hill country here was just be, was just bare dirt and scabweed because of the rabbits, basically. And um, what we've done is we've managed to keep on top of it and maintain it at a low number and you get the grass coming back and it's better for the environment, I, I believe. Um, yeah, as, a, as, a, as a hunter, what are your views on the culling of tar in the high country? Well, frankly, Doc have made a mess of it. And if there's too many numbers, it's like if you've got too many goats or whatever, you, you have to cull the numbers. But, but tar are an asset, and they should be managed as such. I mean, they're the only sustainable herd in, 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 in the world, actually. And, you know, a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment out of them, and it's of it's more benefit to have them in the hills than than not to have them, but you don't want great thundering mobs and running around the hillside. You've got to, there's a balance you've got to strike. And then they're not going to eradicate them because over the fence in the private land there's another thousand tar that is going to move back into the National Park anyway. Mm. Robert, you, you've been handling firearms professionally for years, uh, decades in fact, and you're also a collector of antique firearms. Uh, are you into black powder? Yep, no, I do a bit of black powder shooting, um, mainly pistols is what I, black powder pistols I shoot occasionally, yep. And I think you're, you you shoot competitively too. That, that's correct, I shoot I shoot pistols competitively in cowboy action shooting, which is based around, I guess, the, the Wild West, I suppose you'd say. Um, I've attended the World Championships in New Mexico twice in 2016-2018, and that included like a trip around looking at old historic sites in, 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 the, in the West. Uh, what's your view on the government's tougher laws on firearms? They're an abortion, to be frank. Um, they haven't they haven't succeeded in, in achieving anything, and in fact, they've made the matters worse. They haven't stopped one crime, and they never will, because as as David Seymour said. You know, they are, it was poor thought out law that was badly implemented. What then should the government be doing? Well, ACT have got quite a good firearms policy, but it needs to be reworked where there's punishment for criminals, but law abiding people are allowed to um, enjoy their sport. The, the government spin doctors will say they got 56,000 primitive firearms off the street. But that's actually false because those firearms weren't on the street. They were in a safe, locked away, where law-abiding people were taking them out and shooting them at a club or shooting a few deer or goats or whatever. So the law has only has only persecuted the law-abiding people, which weren't weren't an issue to start with. How how do we prevent gangs from getting firearms? Have you got any thoughts on that? Um, it's difficult because. You know, you know, drugs have been banned for years, and they're still smuggling drugs, and so they can smuggle in guns or manufacture guns themselves. I, I think you've got to make a, a, a committing a crime with a firearm, like an actual crime, like like robbing a, a dairy or whatever. The the ramifications so serious of that that the gangs it becomes um, not worthwhile for gangs to be involved with firearms. 
You have to be very, very tough on the gangs and the criminals. In recent days, we've had reports of starting pistols being converted to fire live, fire live ammunition. You've heard of this? No, 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 I haven't actually. To be honest, no. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it doesn't matter whether you know people can always manufacture any firearm they want. How how effective it's going to be is another matter. But I mean, if you've got a lace and a mill machine and a few skills, you can probably make anything you want. And, and you've been collecting antique firearms. Tell us about this sort of firearms that you've got accumulated. Um, I, I've got firearms dating back to the 1850s, um, like a Colt pistol, you know, an old uh, Spencer rifle, which was from the just at the end of the American Civil War, right through to sort of World War One, World War Two um, type firearms, you know, pistols and and and, and that sort of thing. I'm sort of interested in, in historical firearms because firearms are sort of the history of the world. You know, they, they went everywhere in the world when the when we were exploring and, and, and pioneering through to, you know, World War One, World War Two, which were huge um, events. And those firearms were, you know, front and centre in those events. And that's sort of part of it. So history, history attached to it is what I, you know, get a kick out of. Mm. Looking at act party policies for the election, uh, at the recent campaign launch in Auckland, there were two major new policies. One was on an employment insurance fund for people who find themselves out of work, and the other was an overhaul of our mental health and addiction services. Now, mental health's been a big issue in rural areas, particularly suicide What's been your understanding of the situation? I'm I'm not I'm not real good across the mental health side of it. I mean I know I know that the the health system seems to be a messy and disorderly mix of DHBs and NGOs and this that and the next thing. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be a countrywide coordinated response. Um, I know ACT want to create a separate standalone mental health addiction agency which would be on a national scale. Um, you know, and, and the idea of that is to empower patients to choose between a range of providers rather than just simply accept what their DHB offers. And I mean, I think the current system isn't working that well and we've, and we've got to look at, at different ways of addressing the issue because it's, it's going to be a huge issue in the, in the coming years, especially with the economic crisis that's looming. Mm. Listeners, we're speaking with Robert Andrews, who's the ACT Party candidate for Tyree in the coming election. Uh, let's look at the Tyree electorate. Uh, what sort of support have you got from others in the ACT Party, and how might you campaign? Um, the, the support from people, you know, just like jokers like me who have joined the ACT Party probably relatively recently. Um, and and they're helping out just talking to people, and that's and that's sort of how I I campaign it is just go and talk to people, and I mean I'm not a I'm not a politician and I'm not a public speaker, so you know don't expect a polished campaign. Yeah. Yeah. In places like Mosgill and South Dunedin, uh, because these are much more built up, how how will you cope there? I'm not too sure. That's going to be a pretty steep learning curve for me because. I'm not big on, on, on urban areas in the, in the sense I don't even like going into town. So that's, that's, that's a different 
a different approach, and I'm and I'm talking to people who who are more aware of of the issues in, in urban areas than me, just to get some um, guidance on it. I mean, the rural stuff, I yeah, I, you know, I love and breathe the rural stuff. The urban stuff is a lot harder for me to get my head around. Have Have you met any of the other candidates at this stage? No, no I haven't. No, I haven't actually. Um, we've got a few meetings coming up, so I, I'm quite keen to you know go have a yarn to them and just um, you know get get their views on on, on on where we're going. I mean, I I firmly believe that economically going forward, we've got to look at everybody's everybody's ideas because um, there's no point arguing about it. We've just got to make the best of what we've got in front of us. Yeah, Parliament, in its wisdom, uh, but not without opposition, has decided to give voting rights to prison inmates who were serving terms of up to three years. Uh, how do you feel about that? I don't know what the Act policy on that is, but personally, myself, I don't agree with it. Uh, and given the fact that the what's called the Otago Corrections Facility is in the electorate, would you envisage campaigning within the prison precincts itself? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. As you, as you move around, what are the kind of policies or what indeed is the kind of philosophy you'll be advancing when you're speaking to people? Well, my, my belief is, is, is the economic um, problems are, are going to be um, first and foremost. And, you know, ACT has got an idea of um, they've got a five-point plan where they want to cut cut uh, middle-income taxes from 30% down to 17% and um, cut regulations, which I think is going to, or red tape, which is going to be the main thing to try and um, boost the economy with innovation because that's what's strangling it. Um, aside from that, I think the economy is, is, is the biggest one that I'm going to concentrate on. Everything else, like the mental health and the firearms and all that, whilst they're not secondary issues, if you have a, a functioning economy, you can then deal to those issues. If the economy isn't functioning, we, we don't have any resources to deal with those issues. That's what I see as, an issue, as, a, as a main problem. Living um, in the central Otago area, of course, tourism has been a big, era, big issue up there. And, of course, a lot of people come here uh, who are professional hunters. What's the fate for those? Or we're not, Assuming we're not going to get so many people coming in these days, what will be the effect that will have on the uh, number of deer who are in the country? Well, um, the, the hunters that come offshore don't from offshore don't tend to shoot a lot of animals. They tend to be trophy hunters, so they don't actually affect the, the actual base numbers of deer on the hill. It's my belief that the hunters will, will probably be the first tourists to come back as soon as we get a decent border control, because they they, they want to come here and they want to go hunting. And um, it's just being a lot smarter around our borders to get those people in, because generally they're, they're quite valuable to the economy. Back to the deer numbers, well, if we don't have a functioning um, venison recovery industry, the deer numbers are going to spiral out of control. Um, at the moment, that you know, we can shoot them and control them and recover the meat. Once you go to a search and destroy like Docker doing, there's a big cost to that. Um, and it's going to come back on the private private landowners or dock, depending on where you go. But, you know, I think the hunters 
if we can get overseas hunters, if we can get smarter borders, we can get them back in next year, no worries at all. But we've got to have smarter borders. <clears throat> Finally, Robert, there are two referenda facing voters on a polling day. One's on the recreational use of cannabis and the other is on voluntary euthanasia. I wonder, where do you stand on those two issues? Well, well I'm going to vote, vote yes for the end-of-life choice bill because I believe it's well it's well-written um, legislation. The, the cannabis one, I'm still researching that because I don't have anything to do with cannabis and, and it's not in my circle at all. So whether it's legal or illegal, it doesn't actually affect me. Um, but I don't know enough about it in the sense of the health concerns for young people that I think is a serious issue. Um, whether that can be regulated out. I, I, from what I've read of the cannabis law reform, I don't think it's very well written legislation what I can say. But that's I'm not an expert on it and I'm still doing research on that. Robert, thanks so much for joining us and what promises to be one of our most fascinating elections in recent times and I think you've given listeners a lot to think about and as with all candidates, we wish you well for September the 19th. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much indeed. Hey, thank you very much. Listeners, we've been speaking with Robert Andrews, the ACT Party candidate for the Tyree electorate in the general election. And that's our program for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online or on podcasts. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from oar.org.nz. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.